So, seconds out, delighted to be joined by former WBA Super Flyweight Champion, Cowie Fire. Cow, how are you getting on um, in lockdown? Yeah, it's all good. Um, not, not, nothing major for me. I'm a bit of a hermit anyway, so <laughs> things don't change. Have you managed to get much training done? Like, have you got much stuff at your house that you can use? Yeah, I've got a gym. I've got a gym in the house. You know, got, got bags, uh, treadmills, cross training, all that kind of stuff. Um, but yeah, I've used a bit of that more. I prefer running outside than inside. Um, but yeah, no, I haven't done a hell of a lot of training. I've enjoyed the time off. I've tried to make the most out of it. Yeah, I mean, you've had it pretty pretty rough for a couple of years. You made obviously five defences. A lot of them went the distance as well. So it's not the worst thing in the world for you, I suppose, to have a bit of time off. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, I've, you know, I've had a, I've had a long, not a long career, but I've been on the go nonstop. Um, I do have I do have a good rest in between fights, um, probably two three weeks, and then I and then I look to get back in. But um, I, I think you know with this lockdown, it's given me a couple of months to just relax, um, let my body recover because you know we've been boxing since we were kids, really. So I think it's been a really good thing for me. You were champion for a long time and. Probably didn't get quite the the plaudits that you deserved during that period. Obviously, fighting at world level for as long as you were. How do you reflect on the the reign now? Um, yeah, I was speaking to to a few people the other day about boxing, and um, I was speaking to um, more of a mentor to me who's who's guided my career, and. Um, and they said, you, should, when you, you won't rec- you won't realise it now, but when you retire from boxing and you look back, you'll um, you you you'll you'll be proud of what you've achieved so far. Um, even if you're retired now, you know you, you've had seven more title fights. For 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 a kid from Birmingham, it's not bad. Oh, yeah. But at the same time, I've I've still got a lot to give. I've still got um, a good few years left in the game. Um, some big fights. Um, and I spoke to Eddie after the fight and, and he said the same he said you know have a good rest come back after the summer um, plenty more big fights and big paydays to come it was obviously a big step up against Roman Gonzalez um, in February is any part of you wish that you'd have had that step up a bit earlier maybe earlier into your reign when you know strike while the iron's hot if you like yeah most definitely um, you know the thing is Tried making um, a unification after I made my American debut against David Carmona with um, Joe and Carhas, but that didn't come to any, you know, repetition. So it, I think that was the perfect time, really, to, to jump into a big fight because it, 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 that was I made my US debut. US debut had a great fight, um, exciting fight, and that's what should have been next, but it wasn't. But um, I've got the big fight that I was craving with Gonzalez. I was asking for that fight for a long time and um, Eddie delivered that for me, which I'm, which I'm grateful for. And it was up to me to deliver and I never, but um, I learned a lot from the fight and from the experience. And I think I truly believe it will make me a better fighter. He, he's obviously an excellent fighter, legend in the game and, and former pound for pound, top five, top three, maybe um, operator. What what did you learn from being in the ring with him? Um, the main thing was how relaxed he was, how he put his punches together, 
um, you know, those times where I'd see a shot and I'd, and I'd, it was, I was almost certain that it would land and it, it deflected pretty quickly. So, you know, it was, it was an unbelievable fight, yeah. What do you, what did you kind of learn from your own performance? Where do you see the, the gaps and what do you want to improve on? Um, I don't know. I just, I just don't feel like I just didn't get flowing. Um, I didn't use use my box use my boxing as much as I should have. Um, there's loads of things that you know went wrong for me, and I've said it before. But um, you know, it's boxing, and and it's down to me to perform on the day. And if 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 I don't perform, then that's down to me. But like I said before, I don't want to take um, nothing away from from Roman Gonzalez. He was a brilliant fighter. Um, I know what I did wrong. I know what I've got to improve on, and yeah, that's what I'm gonna have to have to do when I get back in the gym. What do you see as the route back for you? Will you be staying at Super Flyweight, and if so, are you going back on the WBA route? Because I'm sure you've still got a good ranking. No, I went back down at Super Fly. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's um, that, that, that's that's that, that's a that's really hurt me over the last couple of years. And um, I think it's done more more damage than good. And obviously, I can. You, when things are going well, when you're winning, you don't see these things. And when you're getting these good paydays, you you you, you um you just got to stick with it. And then you get you get the massive fight you've wanted for such a long time, um, for huge money. It's like you, you've got to make the way. You've got to do it. If I vacate my title, um. I'd be right down back at the back at the bottom of the pack. So that's what I did. Um, do I regret anything? No. I'm happy. I'm happy with how everything's gone so far. I would have loved to win the fight, but it's made. I'm, I truly believe it made me a better fighter, and um, I'm looking forward to being back. So, what's the plan at bantamweight? Presumably, a specific title or anyone that you're gunning for? Um, to be honest with you, I haven't really thought about that much um I'll, I'll obviously when things are back up and running i'll sit down with with my team sit down with eddie and see what's see what the what the plan of action is um i don't know whatever whatever they have planned for me i'll go with what would you make of the current crop at bantamweight because we've just seen not well not just seen but a little while ago the um WBSS final with Nanito Denaire and Noira Nui, which Inui won, but a great fight. You got like guys like Lewis Neary as well, um, who wasn't involved in the tournament but was WBC champion. What what do you make of the crop at Bantamweight? Um yeah, it's a brilliant packed division. Um loads of exciting fights. And um yeah, I'm excited by Bant by the Bantamweight division. It's, it's it's there's no easy fight out there. There's no there's no gimme out there, so it's so it's great. But I think I think I'd be more suited to that division. Um, I think my strength and and my power will be up there. Um, I'm just I'm, I just I just know I'll be a lot better at bantamweight than I was at superfly. It's been talked about a lot over the years about a domestic fight between yourself and Charlie Edwards, of course. Um, would have been a big payday, presumably domestically, maybe on a pay-per-view chief support something like that or, or a main event of a standalone show do you regret now that that hasn't happened over the last couple of years i mean it could still happen now of course um i haven't i haven't regretted that it hasn't happened 
because it's I won't I won't ever, I haven't ever missed I haven't missed anything financially for from that point because um, Eddie's been very good to me, you know, throughout my career from the beginning to now. So I've made you know for a super flight I've made I've made a shitload of money and Eddie will tell you that. <laughs> um, so I don't regret nothing from from missing out on that fight. If that fight happens in the future, it happens in the future. The thing is, um, I've seen things that obviously that he said that um, he stored his career. That's for me over the year or whatever, two years or whatever it was. But that hasn't. I was offered the fight once in in around February, March, twenty eighteen. That was the only time I've ever been spoken to about that fight. Is there a part of you that would like like a big domestic fight though? Not necessarily with Charlie; it could be with someone else. But do you look at like Frotch Groves and Ben Eubank and that sort of thing and think I'd like some of that? Um, I ain't really bothered to be honest. Fair it's not it, it's not something that bothers me. It's, it's just I, I don't know what it is. I, I don't maybe because I've probably fought. I haven't fought. I haven't fought back home for a well, while. I'm fought here for since October 2017. Yeah. There's probably I'm just used to fighting abroad and and fighting in America. I love America. I love fighting over there. So I'm not really bothered as long wherever the biggest fights are um, and the biggest money. That's that's all that that's all that that matters to me. To be honest, is it kind of a relief? Although things didn't go your way against Gonzalez, you got a big fight in in February just before kind of the lockdown restrictions started to come in. So unlike some of the other fighters, now you've managed to have a fight in 2020. Yeah, hundred um, percent. Apart from apart from losing losing a fight, I think I'm one of the one of the lucky ones in a way because you know I can see I, I can imagine the frustration for a lot of fighters that they probably fought in I don't know summer last year and or towards the end of last year and they're due to fight March April time and they never got to fight. Um, I can see the, that frustration. I don't know I would be. But I was lucky to fight right at the end of February. Probably one of the last, probably the last matchroom show, I think. Yeah, possibly. Um, yeah, so to have the biggest fight of my career just before this happened, it, it's, it's, you know, I'm very happy with that. Has there been talks about how and when you're going to return? Because like you said, you love fighting in America. I know Eddie's making plans for the first matchroom USA shows to take place now. The restrictions are being eased. Um, Not yet, no. Not yet. Um, I don't know. Just see how things go. Really, the 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 thing for me is I'll just probably sit back and see how these behind closed door shows go and stuff like that, and make my decision if what I want to do. If if I want to fight behind closed doors or wait out, wait out until the crowds are back in. It's nice to be in that position, isn't it? That you can kind of take your time and decide what's best for you. Yeah, it's. Uh, I see it as a blessing, really. Um, to be to be one of them lucky ones, but obviously I want to be back in the ring at the same time. I want to I want to start my campaign again. And have you seen a lot of your brothers while all this has been going on? Have they been training at your gym at your house? No, no, no. I haven't. I'm not. I've barely seen my brothers. I've seen them about a week ago. Um, social distancing, of course. Obviously. <laughs> um, but I but I know. I know, obviously, they've done that. They've been doing that bit of training as well. But um, yeah, it's, it's a bit. It's been a bit, bit difficult, obviously, 
for Gamal because he had that bice- two bicep operations on both different biceps and then he was due to fight um, for the European title. In Italy, yeah. And then that got called off. So it, it's been a, been a very frustrating time for him, but he'll, he'll be back soon and hopefully that can get sorted too. And Galau, you know, he qualified for his second Olympics on um on the final day of the qualifying event, so he only found out that that it was the final. It, it was um yeah, it was the final day of the boxing. He only found that out an hour before he boxed. So he said he was a bag of nerves, but pressure, he qualified. Yeah. yeah, a lot of pressure, but he qualified and and he's had time to reflect on that. But he's been training as well. That's good. And I think they're back, aren't they, at GB next week? I think there was a press release this morning. He was one of the guys in there saying they're going back next week with social distancing in place. Yeah, I think, he, I think he, I don't think he's going back. Oh, he's not? No, I spoke to him yesterday. Um, he said he's, he spoke to, to Robin. Basically, he said he can have a bit more time off because he's already qualified and stuff. So, I don't think there's any point of him really going up when he's already he's got nothing coming up. He's not going to fight he's anytime got soon. Year to prepare for the Olympics now, isn't yeah. he? Yeah, that's it. So he's been ticking over those in good shape. I suppose it so delays things in terms of like turning pro and stuff, but perhaps he's not that bothered about that because if you're going to go for two Olympics anyway, you kind of know that you're going to delay that pro um, bow anyway. Yeah, he's, he's you know he's, he's always going to do two Olympics. So he's um, he wants to turn pro. He's um he was he was looking forward to turning pro this year, but the next year he, it'll be fine. He started boxing late. Um, he he enjoys boxing and he's he's, he's fresh, so he'll be good. Three brothers all gone to the Olympics. Now you need to get the other two to win world titles. Need to. Need, well, Gamal never went to the Olympics, did he? Oh no, of course not. But we take me and piss out of him with that. <laughs> he'll, win, he'll have to win the world title then to, to make up for it I guess he's capable of doing that well yeah he's got the European title shot if that's still in the bank when he comes back yeah, it doesn't put him far away so yeah of course well, well great stuff it's been really good to talk to you I'm glad we, we got it sorted out and um, yeah. look forward to seeing you back in the ring whether it is this year or, or next year it'll be great to see what happens next in your career nah thanks Danny I appreciate that all right, mate. Well, you take care and, um, yeah, we'll see you soon. Stay safe, obviously. And you. You take care. All right, mate. Speak soon. Today we are checking in with the incredible Terry Harper. She's the second British female boxer in history to hold a major world title and the first to win one in the ring. Um, Terry, WBC champion. I'm sure you don't get tired of hearing that. How are you doing today? I'm very good, thank you. Nice sunny day, so um, that's all good. How has your lockdown been? I know it's starting to ease a little bit, but how have you found the last 12 weeks or so, really? God, 12 weeks. Crazy how long, how long it's actually been. But I know it started, it was strange. Obviously, I was preparing for the fight with Tasha, so um, I was in, in, in the gym 
a few weeks into training camp and then we got the news that the fight were cancelled and I thought it'd all be over in, in a couple of weeks um, as I guess quite a few people did. We just bought an house so we were quite lucky that we got one with a garage so I kind of made that as my own gym and just I've just been working away in there. What is the setup in your garage? What has your training been looking like? What have you been doing? Well, I know I'm going to come out as a pro cyclist. Um, I've been doing a lot of spin, spin bike sessions on the, uh, through YouTube, which has been good. It's nice to just uh, stare at the screen like I'm going through mountains. So that's been nice. Um, and I've been doing, obviously, a lot of bad work. Uh, I've been doing a lot more runs and just, just stuff like that. I told Andrew I didn't want to uh, let the, the weeks prior work go to waste. So I stuck to my two, two sessions a day resting on a weekend and yeah I think that's kind of the thing that's kept me sane and kept me in a as you'd say routine. And if you've just bought a house I imagine the second the sort of homeware shops are open and you know building supply shops you have plenty you could be getting on with some decorating and stuff. Yeah um, I think we bought the house in Matt well we got the keys in March so it's been it's been a slow process and um, I guess that's kept us busy as well but yeah we're hoping to be in in the next couple of weeks fingers crossed. When this all started, like you say, in March, you were in camp getting ready for the, for the fight with against Tasha Jonas. You won your WBC title in February, went off on a holiday straight after, came back. We actually met at the Rise With Us campaign shoot for, for Sky Sports, where you were there along some phenomenal other female athletes. And then, you know, within the space of just a couple of weeks, the world had kind of shut down. How did you process that and deal with it? Because obviously February, this huge high and, and the world at your feet when it all ground to a halt. Yeah, I think we're, we're in a good motion, really. Everything were, uh, were going well. Um, like we, I took the holiday straight after the eve of fight and I was saying to my partner, Jenna, it, like the other day, I trained every day while we were on holiday and I said, now nah, I, I, I wish I took the rest. Um, but... But yeah, like you said, we went down to London in February and that just seems like a complete different, like like it was last year. It's just mad, but um, I'm just glad that the, the, hopefully the new fight date in July and that I can get back, get back to doing what I do best. How are you making that transition then? Because, you know, individual professional athletes and professional athletes can be back in training and have been able to for a little while now. So what, what are you doing to transition from just yourself on your own in your garage to getting back in the gym and potentially, hopefully, getting back in the ring in July? Um, so it started a few weeks back. I started mix, uh, meeting up with Andrew. Um, he had me on the hill that's just outside the house. Um, and it's, it's been having me sprinting up and down that and then we've just been doing a bit of technical work like technical shadow keeping us two meters how hard is it to shadow box from a two meter distance because obviously you're not making contact but surely being up close is usually a part of it yeah i think we're just doing it kind of to get used to the uh, the south pass dance and stuff like that and get get things rejogged into my, my memory I think I'm young, I'm kind of like a sponge and I just soak things up quickly. So hopefully we just uh, get back get back to where we left off really. And um, I just, uh, me personally, I just want a good few weeks with Andrew um, with a technical pad. So hopefully we can get sparring soon in a couple of weeks and I'm, I'm, I'm happy and ready to go. Your life has changed hugely this year, all of us 
have had huge life changes this year, but your sort of has been a bit of a roller coaster, I suppose, from how you maybe started the year or even the last couple of years up to winning that belt in February. How have you changed as a person and what have you learned? Because in the last few months, there's been quite a few people calling you out. Honestly, uh, I came away from boxing and I went to live a normal life, as you'd say. Uh, I did my university degree, I'm working in a chip shop and stuff like that. And then Andrew kind of just messaged me randomly and got me back into the sport. So I was just, I was just loving um, being back boxing, having a second chance really at doing something that I love. And then this kind of, this big deal just came out of nowhere really. And like my profile skyrocketed. I kind of looked at our the now without people stopping me and congratulating me and stuff like that. Or, um, I was filling my car with petrol the other day and someone came and they were just like staring at me and I thought, oh no. And it was like, congratulations. I'm like, thank you. So it's just it's just little things like that. It's strange, but it is nice to have the support. And yeah, I just think like, it's, it's just crazy. It's a crazy roller coaster, but I'm enjoying every minute. I sense just from watching you as you talk about it, it's something you still struggle to get your head around a little bit. Yeah, because I just see myself still as just young girl Terry Arthur from, from Denny Bumain. That's a very healthy attitude to have. Hopefully we'll be able to keep following that. So aside from, you know, keeping fit and getting the house going or looking ready to move into, what have you been doing during this time? Because a lot of athletes that we've spoken to have said, as, as good as it is to, to focus on areas of your training that maybe get neglected, there's also the opportunity to do sort of other sort of things for personal growth and, and connect with people online that you might not have been able to. Have you been taking advantage of this time to, to do anything outside of the ring and beyond the sport? Um. So not kind of beyond the spot, but we've been working closely with our marketing team and we're, um, we're looking at setting up a foundation. Um, so we've had a few Zoom meetings over that and um, it's just, it's kind of all in talk at the minute, but nothing's set in stone. But we're hoping to get into local schools and just inspiring kids. And I just want to show them that uh, you, can, you can make something out of your life if it's just through sport and the importance of sport and stuff like that but yeah like I said it's just all in talks at the minute but that's what we have been working on. It's quite early days I suppose in your professional career and you know considering your your age to be setting up a foundation it shows a real drive to help people why is that so important to you? Just just with the way that sports changed my life so um, I want to be able to do that for someone else uh, no matter what so you don't have to just be boxing it can be anything as long as I just want to show that living an active, um, healthy lifestyle. I just want to show that sport can do massive things, whether it's for your mental uh, well-being or for your, for your future goals and stuff like that. What are your future goals then? Because I know Steffi Bull or Andrew, as you call him, your manager, he, he laid out on social media quite recently his aims for you in you know, this, this plan of almost world domination. What are you hoping to do over the next few years? I don't know if you know this, but we missed out number three on that. Just one, two, four, five. I'm like, Andrew, what are we doing for number three? <laughs> I didn't notice. I'm going to have to go back. Just I was just kind of looking at the, looking at the list, not the numbers. <laughs> Andrew's got a few exciting things, obviously, planned for um, boxing. Me and the super heavyweight division, we want to uh, obviously unify. We want to fight the other champions. Um, obviously, fight, uh, make defences against my mandatories and stuff like that. And then then we're going to look at moving up weight and stuff like that. But for me in life, my big goal, 
and I kind of only just realised this other day, but I, I want to be able to buy a holiday home and uh, retire over there in the sunshine. That sounds like a really good goal to have. Get a few more good big fights to get, get headline in those box office fights and you'll be well on your way, I think. Yes, fingers crossed. Um, this has been a, a challenging time for a lot of people um, mentally. You've spoken, you know, about how boxing has, has helped you and given you an outlet and just sport generally has helped you in all areas of, of life. As we look to start moving out of this lockdown period, there's still a lot of mental health challenges for a lot of people around that. What is your advice in sort of channeling fears concerns and dealing with those kind of things um obviously speaking to people helps a lot i know um i'm not going to sit here and pretend that i've, I've been completely fine all the way throughout uh, this lockdown and even on a day-to-day -day during when i'm before lockdown during training there's a lot of pressures for me as a young athlete um so i, I find I find it good being able to speak to uh, others, like kind of a mentor type thing. But I can also say that exercise really helps a lot with your, with your mental, like mentally. For me, I know if I miss a session, um, I'm, I'm, there's something missing, so I'll just go out and get the session done. And I've got a clear head once I'm back and I can uh, chill and relax. So hopefully then it'll be Natasha Jonas in July. Have you got a date for that? Obviously, you've already kind of been to camp once for it. You've been doing the work in the meantime, so you've had a lot of of lead up time you must feel well how do you feel ahead of that potentially you know in the next sort of month six weeks or so yeah so I, what i've been trying not to do during lockdown is burn myself out so i've been making sure i have full weekends off and obviously now the fight's getting close and this is where i start stepping up my training times times ticking on and I'm starting to get the butterflies and things like that, waking up or going to sleep on a night, thinking about the fight, um, even starting to dream about it now. But yeah, um, training's starting to step up a level. Um, but I'm excited and it's been a long time coming this fight and I've been preparing a long time for it. So I'm, I'm ready to get in the ring and uh, get the job done. Terry, thank you so much for speaking to us and we can't wait to hopefully see you back out doing what you do so brilliantly really soon. Thank you, Hannah. This is Umar Ahmed for IFL TV in association with MTK Global. Via Zoom, I'm joined by Sugar Hill, Kronk's very finest, um, obviously head coach of Tyson Fury. How are you doing, Sugar? I'm doing pretty good. How are you doing? I'm holding up good, thanks, Sugar. Um, you know, the last big event we had before the world shut down, uh, of course, you were holding it heavily with uh, Wilder Fury 2 and it. I'm fine. I'm looking back on it now. You said, how's it been since then? No, no, how'd you look back on that night uh, since now? Oh, that night, uh, it, was, it was a terrific night. Uh, you know, it meant a lot to me, uh, the night, because of, uh, um, because of what Emmanuel meant to me. So that, that night was, uh, it was an incredible night, being on that stage of heavyweights. Uh, the same thing Emmanuel would have been doing. Uh, for me being there, and experiencing it, experiencing it, and um, 
living it, you know, just thinking about him. Absolutely. Sugar, um, it was a pretty much faultless performance from Tyson Fury. That's what fans thought anyways. What's the one thing that impressed you most about Tyson's performance, if you had to pick one? Uh, if I had to pick one, I would say overall. But, yeah, um, his ability to – I mean, everything was working. So, I, it's really not one thing that I could say uh, that really impressed me. Um, he listened in the corner, you know, when it was time to listen. He was um, – you know, he had power. His footwork was there. I mean, head movement. I mean, everything Everything was firing on all cylinders. Uh, so I know one particular thing because we did everything just the way it was planned to do. Have you spoken to him uh, during this lockdown much, Sugar? Yeah, we, we talk maybe about once a week, you know, once a week or maybe once every other week. Uh, so, yeah, he's been doing okay, you know, uh, taking care of himself, being with the family uh, as well as me. And... Uh, yeah, just, uh, you know, I guess the last conversation says, can't wait to get back training again. Definitely. Um, have you discussed much about the next Wilder fight, um, the Anthony Joshua fight, or have you just been chatting normally, Sugar? Just chatting normally. You know, uh, probably if anything we chatted about the fight was, you know, uh, all the excuses going around from, you know, everybody. And I say that not to say Wilder's excuses, but I guess everybody else is making excuses for him, uh, you know, with these different things. So we just we just talked about that, kind of laughed about it, you know, that's about it. But nothing nothing major about, you know, to really imagine what the plan would be and things like that. We just we just had regular casual conversation. We Talk got other things. We do other things besides boxing. <laughs> Talking about excuses, the world was puzzled um, when Deontay Wilder said that, you know, his costume was to blame for the loss, etc. He didn't really seem to give Tyson the credit. Now, we haven't spoke to you since the fight itself, really, apart from on the night. So I'm going to ask you, what did you make of Deontay's comments uh, when you first heard them, Sugar? Uh, the same as I, anybody. I don't, even, I don't even address those comments. Uh, I'm not, you know, I guess per se, in, in public, I'm not so much, uh, you know, talking about those kind of things. But amongst family and friends, we laugh and talk about it or, or discuss these things, but uh, you know, normally I just say uh, it's professional. I mean, I, I out of everything, I do have to understand that um, you know, if, if something, if he feels something was wrong, then he has the right to uh, address that because I, I'm not him, I'm not in his camp or anything like that. So I wouldn't know if anything was wrong. But uh, really, I do believe that uh, you know, most of the time, when any professional athlete in any sport. Uh, is participating at that high level, they have some kind of injury um, just because you're training hard and you're putting your body through these through these uh, enduring uh, workouts that, that it's going to cause an injury. So uh, whatever his, uh, you know, whatever he feels that may have been a mistake, uh, that's, that's okay. I mean, people make mistakes in life, period. So you can only look at the mistakes and know what the mistake is and correct it. So if that's what, if he's feeling that's, that was a mistake, then he can go in there and correct that for the next time. That's fair, yeah. As I said earlier, um, Tyson's performance on the night was practically faultless. However, going into this third Wilder fight, which looks to be set to happen in, in November, December time, um, is there anything that you saw that you can still improve going into that third fight? Well, there, there's a lot that Tyson can improve on. Um, we only had, me and Tyson only had, uh, what, eight weeks? eight weeks until the fight to, to, to work and train together 
And uh, a lot of criticism was that it wasn't enough time for Tyson Fury to train with me and to understand what to do and everything like that. So that was just really, it was, it was eight weeks, but it was really only four weeks. Tyson Fury was ready in four weeks. Uh, the, other, the other three weeks, the three and a half weeks that we had left were just, you know, just, just uh, you know, doing it over again. You know, just over, do it again, okay. Not trying to put too much into him, but uh, he learned fast. He was in shape. And, uh, you know, those kind of things make, make training camps easier. But, you know, the, the next time that, that uh, we train and get to work together, I mean, you know, it'll be eight more weeks. And uh, I guess probably, really, I guess one, one of the things that we did speak about was, was Tyson says, oh, I'm, uh, once the, the travel clears, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have you come over here for a month. And we're going to train for a month. So he wants to train without even training for a fight. Because, uh, and, and that'll, I mean, I, you know, when he told me that, I was happy. And I was like, man, like, we train without a fight coming up. You know how much I could teach you, how much you could learn, and, uh, you know, how much, how much more improvements you'll have in going into the next fight, not even training for that fight yet, but just practicing and getting better at something. When you assess Deontay Wilder and Anthony Joshua uh, compared to if there was in the ring to Tyson Fury, what's the tougher fight, Sugar? Uh, I, I would say the tougher fight would be Anthony Joshua just because uh, Anthony, uh, Anthony Joshua, I mean, I guess he doesn't just depend on the right hand. So that would make it the more uh, tougher uh, fight to me, uh, in my opinion. But you know, the the, the brown uh, the bronze bomber, he has uh, that one punch. Uh, he says it takes twelve rounds; it only takes me two seconds. <laughs> so uh, you know, it, it's hard to really actually say. You know, uh, uh, both of them are considered dangerous fights. Both of them are considered dangerous fights, and uh, you know, fighters just have to look at because look, look at their careers. Uh, amateur and professional. These are the top. These are the top three heavyweights in the world right now. Top major three heavyweights in the world, and you can't take anything from either one of them. I think we are gearing towards that Fury Joshua fight. You know, hopefully Fury gets past Wilder and Joshua beats Pulev, and we can set up two, maybe three massive fights next year with the the pair of them. I spoke to Andy Lee a couple of weeks ago, your guy Sugar, and he said that. That's my brother. I know. I know. That's your guy. Um, Andy was telling me that he believes Tyson will break Anthony Joshua physically and mentally. Can you see where he's coming from, Sugar? And do you agree with him? Oh yeah, I mean Tyson uh, uh, mentally, you know, he, he can mess with anybody. Uh, yeah, so um, we have to wait and see. It, it'll be interesting. Uh, you know, it'll, it'll be some things that we talk about uh, going into a fight like that. Uh, and with a fighter, you know, like Anthony Joshua. And uh, that's, uh, yeah, Tyson can break anybody down pretty much. And if they're not broken down, it is still, he's, he'll still find another way to break you down. That's just in his DNA. It is to find a way. It's just to find a way. Anything. Every little thing helps <laughs> if you know what you're doing. <laughs> he was so emphatic that night against Wilder. And, and when, as you said, Joshua's got a bit more versatility to him. Uh, he's more well-rounded. Uh, more imposing, he's a bigger man than Wilder. But do you feel like Tyson can do the same thing to Anthony Joshua, where it just completely dominates him from second one till, till the finish, whenever that is? I definitely know that for a fact, that Tyson Fury can, can, uh, he can dominate any heavyweight in the division. Uh, you know, his, his skills, his mental set, his, his, uh, 
you know, his boxing IQ, his determination. Um, you know, it's a lot in Tyson Fury that the, the other fighters just don't have um, that Tyson Fury has. But to me, Tyson Fury is a complete package. Uh, you know, you, some fighters have maybe have two things and the other one may have three and the other one has maybe four. You know, so Tyson Fury has all, if it was 10, Tyson Fury's got all 10 of them. Well, just before we round off this interview, Sugar, I do want to ask you about... Hey, and that's, and that's even power, because they say he had no power, but now he's got power all of a sudden, huh? Oh, yeah, apparently Tyson Fury's never had power, although he was knocking out guys for fun uh, when he was rising through the British ranks. Um, Sugar, I want to end the interview with... Uh, a topic I, I didn't think I'd be talking to anyone about during this lockdown, but it looks like Mike Tyson returning to Van der Holyfield. He's working with Vladimir Klitschko at the moment, uh, Shannon Briggs, James Tony, just to name a few, are potentially coming back. What are your thoughts on all these legends uh, making a return, Sugar? Uh, you know, hey, let those guys have at it. <laughs> you know, it, it's sparking an interest in boxing. Uh, you know, it, it's doing something for the sport. So, though, the, all all those names mentioned were 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 great fighters and all of and are, are Hall of Fame fighters. You know, there will be legends in, in throughout history uh, in boxing. So, uh, you know, let those guys go ahead and have some fun. Sugarill, thank you very much for talking to IFL TV. Hopefully, see you across the pond sooner rather than later when everything's back to normal. And uh, take care for the rest of uh, lockdown. All right, thank you. Yeah, yeah, maybe I'll be coming over there for that training camp Tyson was talking about. Yeah, you're going to come. You're going to come to Manchester, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, uh, Markham. Markham. Markham Bay. Yeah, Markham Bay. I don't have to be in Manchester. I'm going to Markham Bay. We're <laughs> gonna swim. We're gonna swim the bay. Get him in shape. <laughs> Thank you very much, Sugar. God bless you. Listen, he's got. We're gonna swim the bay to get him in shape because you know he's got. He dips his hands in, in gasoline and kerosene, so that that maybe that water can put out the fire. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you very much, Sugar. Take care. All righty. Take it easy. This is Umar Ahmed for IFL TV in association with MTK Global in Las Vegas. I'm joined by Shakur Stevenson, who brings back boxing next week uh, in Las Vegas. How do you feel about it, Shakur? I feel real good about it, and I'm excited, and I can't wait. Shakur, we'll obviously uh, talk about you headlining and, and uh, other potential fights down the line, but I want to start off um, on a bit of a, a sad subject, really, the horrible passing of uh, George Floyd and uh, just the events that have taken place since uh, throughout the whole uh, of America. Just your, your thoughts on it, Shakur? I think that is a horrible situation. I'm with my people on it, and I can't protest or nothing like that because of uh, COVID, and I got a fight coming up. I don't want to risk everything that's going on, but I'm with my people, and I understand, and I'm glad that everybody's trying to fight back. If we weren't in this uh, pandemic situation and you didn't have a fight coming up, would you be protesting right now, Shakur? Yeah, I definitely. I was trying to go to the protest, uh, what was it, like a couple of days ago down in Houston, but uh, my managers ain't let me. They, they thought it'd be dumb to 
do that so have you ever experienced uh, growing up any sort of hate towards you because you're colorful I experienced a, a bad thing with, with the cops where uh, we got put over for speeding and the cop came to the car and put his gun out and they came to the car and they say, put your hands out the window. And for real, for like, I didn't take the situation too serious in the moment because it was like, I'm, I don't know, I didn't really take it. I was like in the back laughing. And I'm like, um, like I'm asking them, do y'all want me to put my hands out? Cause if I move, or y'all like gonna shoot? Like y'all got y'all guns out at me and stuff like that. So they ended up my my coach ended up arguing with them, and they ended up having a little altercation. Like, but we got out of it. We got out of the situation. But I had like a little running with them. As a, a young black male who's grown up in America all his life. Do you see the situation ever getting better, Shakur? Is there hope in your heart about this? Nah, I don't see the situation getting better. I know that every time I, I get pulled over and there's not a lot of people around, I get nervous because it's like a lot of people don't be right there to see like see me or like if I get pulled over, I would rather like it to be in like a scenery where it's a bunch of people around. That way it's cameras out and everything is like They'll probably calm down more because people could see, but I'd be scared to like get pulled over by myself because it's like, shit, nigga might pop me. That's how I be feeling. As you are a, a high profile athlete now, Shakur, um, have you got a message to not just black people in America, but everyone standing in this uh, protest, whatever color you are? Have you got a message uh, to these people, Shakur? I just tell them just stay strong and, and keep doing what they're doing. So everybody, it seems like right now, like a lot of this stuff been happening. And it seems like right now it's like the protesting kind of went up. Like everybody's taking it real serious. So I think that they should keep doing what they're doing. Anyways, moving on, Shakur, how's it been in terms of this situation where you're fighting next week uh, in terms of testing, et cetera? Have you done all your testing? Do you still need to do more testing before you get in the ring? Yeah, I just did a test not too long ago. So, uh, I'm hearing that I got to do more tests, so we'll see. How are you feeling about uh, fighting without no fans, Chico? I don't, I don't think it's going to bother me. Like, I think I'm in the gym without fans in there, and I could hear the coaches clearly, all that type of stuff. So, I don't think it's going to be a problem. I think it's going to be cool for me. Different experience. We know, of course, you were supposed to fight at Madison Square Garden a couple of months ago, and a lot of money would have gone into that training camp and a lot of time was wasted. But do you think this has kind of worked out decent here that you're bringing boxing back and the whole of America is going to be watching because everyone's in lockdown um, and there's no boxing on the moment? No, I don't think it's, it worked out. I'm still – I'm focused on my fight, really, Saturday, but I'm still a little salty at the fact that I did a whole training camp and I spent a lot of money on training camp, making sure like I'm straight and I ain't get none of that money back. Uh, I missed out on the biggest payday of my career. Um, like I said, I, I, I'm still a little salty because of that, but I'm really just trying to focus on my fight coming up. But a positive surely is got to be that 
everyone's going to be tuning into ESPN. As I said, there's no other fights going on at the moment. So you, the viewing figures should be really high. That's what I'm hoping. I'm hoping that uh, I get a lot more fans from this, from having a studio fight and nobody got anything else to watch and a lot of people spending time at, spending time at home. I'm hoping that it might help my fan base grow a lot more than what I think. What do you know about Felix? Have you seen much of him, Shakur? Seen one round. One round. That's all I seen. I don't know too much. Uh, all I needed to see was that one round. When I seen the one round, if he come in anything different than that one round I seen, uh, I, I still be prepared. But I, from what I seen that one round, I don't think he got anything for me. Is this just a, a test to see what it's going to be like at 130? Have you made your mind up where you want to fight at yet? Yeah, that's exactly what it is. I think it's a test to see if I'm going to be fighting 130. Um, but I'm going to throw this out there because I know you're from the UK. Um, I'll be willing to get back in the ring in August or September. Uh, that's real. That's not too far. That's soon. So I'll be willing to get back in the ring with warranty if we got to. So just throwing that out there. I was going to speak about Josh Warrington. I know it was a few months ago that you and Andre went back and forth with Eddie Earn a bit. Let me just get the exact stuff that was going on. So Eddie Earn essentially said that you and your promotional and management company declined an offer for Josh Warrington. What can you tell us, Shakur, about this? Nah, that wasn't true. He had sent the offer, but he sent it during my fight week. Uh, during my fight week, and I didn't really know too much about it until... When he was saying that stuff, I had a call about it, like, yo, D. But he sent the same offer that um, Frank Warren sent. It wasn't nothing more. Like, they trying to lowball me so I don't fight, I feel like. That's what I feel like. They going to lowball me so I don't take the fight and and, and that type of stuff. So. Did you feel like when Josh signed with Eddie Hearn that the offer was going to be bigger than what Frank's was and the fight was more yeah. realistic? Yeah. Yeah, I thought that once uh, because I be watching, like I'm the type of person I watch a lot of interviews and stuff like that. I watch a lot of stuff that goes on with boxing, and Eddie Hearn constantly says in like interviews like how much money, more money he got than Frank Warren, and Frank Warren is broke and all this type of stuff that he be saying in interviews. So I'm thinking in my brain like, okay, now that he signed Josh Warrington, he's gonna be able to throw the, the money that I want to see. Or uh, get close to it at least that I want to see. That way we can make that fight happen. But he just said the same thing that that Frank really offered him. That's why he was saying in tweet uh, when he was saying that like uh, you turned down two offers and one of them that I thought was really solid. Like he was trying to indicate indicate that he thought uh, Frank Warren offer was solid or something like that. But I feel like it's disrespect. Do you and the top rank have any plans to make Warren and Hearn an offer after this fight, obviously? Not that I know of. I mean, I heard Bob on the phone saying something like he's going to do whatever it takes to make that fight happen. But I, you got to realize Warrington is the more established guy. Like, I'm only 13 fights in. Warrington got 30 fights. And he got more of a, a fan base, if I'm being honest, because he has 30 fights in. He's older and all that type of stuff. Like he's been in he's been in the game longer. So 
he have like a bigger fan base than what I got. So it will only make sense for a fight to be done in like an England or or that type of stuff. Like we could do we can do something in America, but it won't be as big of a, a event as it is uh, on his on his turf. Do you think you'll thrive off that coming to England, being the away fighter? Yeah, I think that I I, I I feel good being able to go in his hometown and take his belt away from home in front of his fans, family, friends. I'm going to enjoy it. Well, I will enjoy it. Do you feel like that featherweight, uh, you and him are one and two? Uh, No, I'm not going to say that because uh, Gary Russell is in the picture. And he been around longer than me and all that. So I would say him and Gary is one and two. But when you talk about, like, the fights the fans want to see, like, the fights don't want to see a Gary Russell-Josh Warrington fight like that. The fans will want to see a Shakur versus Josh because it's something that the fans will want to see. Like, I'm – I'm, I'm they, they know, like, they understand, like, what I can do and what I've been doing. So they understand. Well, I don't think we do. I think Josh Warrington's got a fight line with Kanzu up anyway. So let's say you stick at 130, Shakur. Um, Jamel Herring and Carl Frampton, I know it's not going to happen soon, but potentially could happen, let's say, at the back end of the year. The winner of that next year interest you? Nah, not at all. I'm looking at um, the biggest names of the division. No disrespect to Jamel. But if he got the like, I'll fight Frampton too. Like Frampton, a bigger name to to me than Jamel is. But I'm looking at like Santa Cruz. Like, I see Santa Cruz as a fight where I can make big money, um, fight a, a top guy with a with a real big name who also just came up from 126. Um, I think that that fight will make a lot more sense than a uh, Jamel Herring. I don't think. Jamel or Frampton got the type of name that, uh, well, Frampton got a big name, but like Jamel don't got the type of name that, uh, like Santa Cruz got. Plus, we all lined in the same with, like, with the same people, so it's kind of hard. But like, like, I think that if I if I was to fight Jamel, it would be like something that I, I would have to do. Like, I ain't really got no other choice, but it's just me and Jamel, and we just got to get it on type shit. Like, it, it wouldn't be no. No, uh, me just calling out Jamel and let's just make this fight happen, like that type of stuff. So, Santa Cruz would be a brilliant name to have on your record, though. Yeah, I think Santa Cruz is a way bigger name than uh, uh, Jamel Heron. Well, I do respect to Jamel. All right, Shakur, listen, I'll let you go. Yeah, best of luck uh, on Tuesday um, against Felix. Hopefully, catch a word with you after the fight as well. Thanks for talking to IFL and uh, God bless you, Shakur. All right. All right, thank you. Andrew McCart, IFL TV in association with MTK Global. As always, 
happy to be joined by, delighted to be joined by Jazza Dickens. Jazza, we had a little conversation there before I pushed record about the golden contract final is in 19 days. Would have been in 19 days' time. Like, we forgot about it. Like, but uh, before we talk about that, first and foremost, how are you coping? How's things your end? The same for me, Andy. I'm just training hard. That's that, that's the fun. That's the fun in it for me, training hard and and just living the life of a fighter. Um, I'm lucky enough to be able to be coming back to the Golden Contract tournament because if it wasn't, as you said before, when we were talking, my face would be even bigger than it is now. So I'm I'm just just doing what I've got to do, and I'm lucky that I'm not in a position like most fighters in the situation where they don't know what to come back to or when they're coming back. I'm looking to be um, on on a massive platform when I do come back in Sky and MTK. Well, let's just talk about then. It would have been on the 26th of June that you would have fought Ryan Walsh. Uh, Ryan's on a a great run at the moment. You're on a great run at the moment. Uh, for for fans like myself watching it, like this was going to be an an not well, I could see an epic final. It was going to be a great final between two two young fighters who are at the top of the game at the moment in time. I mean. What are your thoughts on the fight against Brian? Yeah, um, I th- I, I've already made it clear what I think of Brian in, in the past and from day one, even before, even years ago when I seen him on, on the circuit when we were both coming through. Just just respect him, you know, him and his brothers, they're a fighting family and um, he gives it all in his fights. There's, there's been times where we've had good conversations. You know, when we all go to London and um, we've been in and around the hotels, I, I've, I've, I've spoke to him a few times and and him and my, my girlfriend and his girlfriend were both talking and, and I see a similarity, you know, they've, they've got kids and they're just a fighting man, He's, he lives it like like myself, you've got to respect a man like that because you know when you're going to go into a fight with him, he's, he's going to bring the best out of you and he's also going to give it his all, so you, it, you've, got to, you've got to thank people like him because without people like him, you can't bring the best out of yourself, so that, that's where my opinions are and and I put a thing on Instagram yesterday, and I don't think you need to talk any shite with this fight. Do you know what I mean? It doesn't, you know. It speaks for itself, so. It's... Yeah, the fight's not going to get any better by us talking shite or anything. We're both, we're both the same type of fighter to go in there and just give that all anyway, no matter who we're fighting. So it's not going to, um, it's not going to need any of that bollocks, you know. But you, you, I've seen the last couple of weigh-ins and press conferences uh, with the quarterfinals and the semi-finals. You've, you've been quite a little bit of a joker. Jazza, do you think you'll have a little joke with uh, Ryan at the way in the press conference? <laughs> to be honest, I would say I've got too much respect for him to take the piss, you know what I mean? But I'll probably um, enjoy it. I, I, I'm acting like that because I'm just enjoying the moment. Um, I always say I sacrifice so much, but that's my night out. That's my blowout when I go to fight. The old fight week, that's my that's my enjoyment. That's why I do it. So um, I'll probably have a lot of fun me, me, myself, but... Um, yeah, I won't include Ryan. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Ryan, Ryan, like I said to you, he's on. A, he's been British champion. I think he's defended the title what five, six times or something along them lines. For yourself, what have you seen in Ryan's game that's going to give you the edge in this fight? Have you seen any weaknesses in his game? You and George Vaughan and Derry and, and the like. Um, I, I am watching. Too, I well. I think I've watched one fight, I think it was, it was on Box Nation a while ago, and um, I haven't seen that much of him. Um, what I have seen is, I know I can negate around his tactics too, but obviously he's a good fighter, and I don't expect him to go in there and not be able to change. He, he can, he's got to adapt to fight somebody like me as well, so I, I do expect something new, and when you get in there, you sort of plan it out. I think going in there with the plan out, 
it's going to be like this, this, and this. It's not an equation. You've got to work it out. You've got to, you've got to be smart on, on the ball. You've got to be willing to adapt, willing to change mid-fight and, um, you know, plan B, plan C. You've got to have all them things because I think he's uh, he's better than that. Do you know what I mean? He's better than what what I've previously seen. I'm sure he can adapt to situations himself. So that, that's where I've got to be. I've got to be on the ball. Jazza, you've only lost three fights. And it's safe to say you've lost to three world-level opponents in Kid Galahad, uh, Rigando, and Thomas Patrick Ward, who's banging on the door of a world title as well. If you, if you win against Ryan, are you set for, are you, are you ready to propel yourself into that world stage? Yeah, I think that's, I think that's where the fight is. Uh, someone said to me the other day, well, I don't get the concept of this tournament because why don't they just, if they like here, why don't they just give you the contract? I said, no, what you got to understand no, is, it? it's a process of elimination. You need to, to prove your way, but anybody who comes through this tournament, they're all good fighters, do you know what I mean? So anybody who does come through it, they are willing for that level. So I think the, the tournament's perfect, as that, that's the plan. They're going to gear somebody towards a world title. Going through this process, that, that's where you come out. When you come out through this tournament, you don't come through it by luck. You don't come through it by, um, you know, you don't get lucky in tournaments like this. It's a, it's a long process. It's a year. It's also the man who's the most dedicated throughout the year, who's got the most discipline. It's a lot of things. So when you come out the other side, that I think that that's exactly where you should be banging on the door for the world title. Maybe 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 if you have to, you know, sit and wait. But um, I think you're ready for that for that level. And I, I am at the minute. I'm ranked number three. I think of this day in the world at the minute. So even without the tournament. That IBF, um, Jazz, sorry, sorry to interrupt you. Is that with IBF? Yeah, with the IBF. And I think I've also got a ranking with the WBO now too. So, um, yeah, even even without the tournament, um, it, you could see it as a big risk to me, but that, that's where the fighters who win this tournament is going to be. Gonna be. You said at the beginning of the interview, you and Ryan are both family men, but you're a family man. You've got young kids. I, I, I see you on Instagram. You've, you've always got your kids doing little videos and stuff like that. You're posting. So, this tournament, man, I mean, winning this, you don't just win the titles that Ryan's got. You don't just get the praise from everybody here in Britain. There's, I think it's a six-figure sum. There's a contract. There's a deal with a top promoter as well at the end of yeah. this. I mean, what does that mean for you in your career? Winning this sort of, I mean, you've, you've touched on it a little bit. But what does winning this, everything that comes with the tournament, what does that do for your career? Um, I've gone too deep and all that about emotions and stuff like that. But for me and my whole family, we, we don't have much, you know. We it, it's we've been working. I've just left my house now to come to come to my dad's to start my camp. Um, leaving the house, my daughter's waving out the window. Little face, you know, she's only five years old. She's waving out the window like she's upset. I'm upset leaving. It's emotionally draining. It's hard, but all you can do is harness them feelings uh, and you know make a better life for them. That's that's all you can do. Um, the house I'm leaving. I don't want to be there forever, you know. That that's a big thing. You, you can change the, the way we're living. Um, it goes deeper than just just fighting for titles, you know. Lifting a piece of metal and leather, it goes a lot deeper. It goes changing my 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 old family's life, the upbringing, the upbringing that I have for myself. I can give to my kids. So that's what I'm fighting for. I'm not just fighting for other people's entertainment. I'm fighting for, for you know for life changing possibilities for, for me and my family, you know. And that's, every time I'm saying that. That's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking about them and, and just just losing something is a lot. The thought of losing something is a lot harder than the thought of gaining something, isn't it? So if you think about 
wanting a child, it's nice. But if you think about losing a child, the pain's horrendous. If you think about winning the belt, it's good. But if you think about losing your belt, the pain's hard. So it's like, now I've thought about everything, what the, the lifestyle we can live, what I can do for my family. I've already thought about that. So now I have to think about what would it be like to lose that? Do you know what I mean? To lose what could potentially be. And um, it's it's just there. It's there for the taking for me. So that, that that's where I'm at when I'm saying every day, it's me and my family about about just creating a nice life for us. You know, I can I can get I can sense that it's like this for your family doing everything for your family means more to you than titles. And you know, I mean, yeah. I, I get that feeling. I'm hearing you there. But I want to do. I want to talk about titles if that's all right. Yeah, of course. <laughs> 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 um, that was that. Like it was, that was very nice. I, I, I get that. I actually felt that you you mean that every word you just said there. But you did say you're ranked third with the IBF. I'm guessing, like, with this everything that's going on with this sort of lockdown and stuff like that. If you do go on and beat Ryan, I I, I think that from the next so many months or whatever, maybe a year, we're gonna have to fight in house, sort of just UK fighter, UK fighter, UK fighter. Now, the IBF champion is Josh Warrington. Featherweight. After Ryan Walsh, are you going to be on at your team? If you can get a, 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 a fighter award, are you going to say, "Listen, I'm pretty sure I've done an interview before, and you said you've got the you can beat you've got the beating of Josh Warrington." Yeah, definitely, I'm, I'm not I'm not going to look past this fight, but that's that. If um, I don't even believe Josh Josh Warrington will have the title by the time I get to him, you know, I I, I believe he's there for the taking. Would you? Would, why, why don't you think he's going to have the title? Do you think he's going to lose it in the process or move up and wait? I think there's going to be somebody else who's going to take it off before, before what would it be the next eight months or something like that. You know, I hope not because I hope I get a shot myself and it'll be a good fight domestically, also for the world title. So yeah, that's where I, I sit with that. But I can't, I can't, I can't take me. I have the ball yeah. with, with Ryan. No, he's not going to be there to to say go on jazz. He's going to be there to to wave me off and to a happy sunset. You know, so I've got to keep my eye on the ball. What, what what sort of correspondence have you had with your management team, MTK, and everybody and involved with the, the golden contract in terms of when you're going to fight Ryan? Have you heard anything about that? Um, I've, I've, little little things from 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 me manager and stuff like that, but there's not not I can say um, it's not I can say yet. But um, I, I'm happy, really happy with the, with the the back and forth with the. The way I've been treated and, and and the knowledge I've been given, how they're looking after me, and and they are not just doing it for, for themselves, and they're looking after the fighters too by giving them that knowledge. Because I've been in situations before, years ago. Right, you've got six weeks, go and get loads of weight off. Do you know what I mean? You're fighting for the business title. Do you want this opportunity? You can never fall for, fall for the business title yourself. Are you going to jump out of the idea? You don't even think about losing the weight. Is it realistic? You don't even think about that. You just fucking get your sweaters on and go for it. You know what I mean? That's that's. That's what a fighter does. So um, it's nice not to be in that situation to be getting looked after, as they say. And yeah, so the team is doing a great job. Not just not just for me, but just for boxing in general. They're doing a great job in this situation. MTK, they're a massive management company. They could sit on that and they could say, right, we don't have to do nothing. We'll just wait for it to blow over. We're going to be all right. We're still going to have our fighters. We're still in contact. But they're not. They're pushing the boundaries, you know. You see, all the promoters are all the promoters with TV right now. They're all working to, to bring boxing back, and I think it's great what they're doing. Well, I want to talk about that then. When the boxing does come back, Jazza, there'll be no fans in the arena. Do you know what I mean? You might have me going, "Come on, Jazza." Do you know what I mean? That's the only person that's going to be in that thing. But 
what's your thoughts on fighting in front of, of, of an empty studio or an empty garden or whatever it might be? Are you okay with that? Yes, that, that's, what amateur, that's what amateur boxing is. Mm. I was a top-class amateur boxer the other day, and this tournament, it's suited like an amateur tournament too. It's like something almost like the ABAs, the way the ABAs was, just with longer periods in, in between and longer rounds. So that's exactly what amateur boxing was. You go to these Eastern European countries and there's nobody there apart from the other fighters. You know what I mean? It's quiet. You, you, you don't hear clapping when you land a big shot. You don't hear nothing. You just hear smack. <laughs> that's it. You know what I mean? <laughs> you just think, bloody hell, this is like, you can hear the echo of your punches in, in, the, in the corner of the room. You know what I mean? So that's the situation. I've, I've, um, that's, I was fighting like that for years. And when I went out to America and boxed in um, Dominican, that was the same. It was like a weird youth club. And uh, there was about 15 people in there, do you know what I mean? So it's good. It's, it's, it's a good experience, you know what I mean? People are going to look back at it at this time and they're going to say, like, um, what happened with boxing there? And was there any fights on, any title fights? And I'll be one of them. So, uh, yeah, I think it'd be good to, to jump at the opportunity to also be one of the fighters who says, no, yeah, I've got the balls to go and, to go and do this in this new environment, in this new atmosphere. No, a fighter should be good in any environment, in any situation, you know, because they're in between four ropes and that's it. I mean, do you hear the crowd? I know some fighters just think, they say, oh, the crowd doesn't make a difference, it's just me and him, whoever you're fighting in the, in the ring. But for you, Jazza, when you're fighting in Liverpool and stuff like that, do you hear the crowd shouting, Jazza, Jazza, jab, 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 or go to the body, Jazza, Jazza? Do you, do you hear that or do you block all that out and just focus 100% on your opponent? A really strange thing because you can hear loved ones. I always hear my dad's voice and I always hear my coach's voice. I don't know if you can, you've got the ability to tune into people's voices that you recognise. Do you know what I mean? Because they're not the only people shouting, but you hear that voice in, in like thousands of voices. Do you know what I mean? It's mad. Yeah. You, 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 I, I can hear my dad's voice in, in the middle of thousands of people. It's mad. Unless your dad's going in four horns, you know. <laughs> 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 or maybe, maybe I've just been there two hours and he's not even shouting at yeah, you're just <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's it. Well, you're starting your, you're, you're starting your camp now, Jezza, but uh, I take it you, you're back with George and Derry and stuff like that, is that, yeah? Well, George, I've seen George yesterday and um, we made a plan of what we're going to do and how we're going to approach it. So, yeah, it was nice. George just knocked at the house. George doesn't use a phone because he's... Because he's in, in his eighties now, do you know what I mean? So it was nice to see him. Yes, he just knocked on the window. Me kid, me, me lad said, um, "Someone at the door. He's got an MTK top on." So I thought, "So it was Georgie, and it was nice. He had a cup of tea, and we, and we made a plan. You know, like the, what I can imagine was the old-fashioned way, do you know what I mean? And he said, "I'll, I'll meet you. I'll meet you on the hills, and um, give me a time." And that's how we we work. We don't text each other or call each other we just see each other when we say we will so it's well, good. That's, that's, that's a good way to talk that, that is like before phones were a thing like I can't remember a time when the phones weren't a thing like but that's well I can slightly remember but I don't want to give my age away um, <laughs> but Jazza like, like I said to you I'm excited about this this final with you and Ryan Walsh I think we've got a like I said, you've got two up-and-coming guys who are on a roll at the moment in terms of your, your fight against Lee Wood. I don't think you're even the favourite going into that fight against Lee Wood. Do you know what I mean? And you've got a, a great performance, which is credit to yourself. But you and Ryan, I think that's going to be a spectacular final. I can't wait uh, for the fans. But before I let you go, and 
crack on with, with your evening. Jazz, have you got anything you'd like to say to anybody watching this, this video at the moment in time? Yeah, just, just to like to be yourself, and you know, like um, the people who are, like I was saying before, people who are still pushing boxing, do you know what I mean? Because without you and the people like you and these TV companies and all that, we are the fighters, yeah, and boxing wouldn't happen without us, but also nobody would see boxing for the likes of you. So thank you to you and, and to the promoters and the managers and the coaches and everybody involved and, and most of all the fans who actually watch it. So thank you to everybody who's... Um, who's still carrying the game, you know, and also my, my family, friends and sponsors who are helping me through my, my tough times of my own. So thank you, everybody. Well, Jazz, I, I want to say thank you for saying that, man. You're the only fighter that's ever thanked me, which is nice to nice to hear. But um, Jazz, I hope I'll, I'll, the next time I, I interview you, you'll be a face-to-face -face with my camera stuck in your in your face. So fingers crossed, this blows over slightly and we can get back to some really good boxing. Stick in, Jazz. I hope uh, Georgie doesn't, Beast you too hard in, in camp. <laughs> Hopefully, speak to you soon, champ. Thank you. Thank you very much, Jan. Appreciate it. Thank you, Thank you. This is Umar on Cryfield TV and associated with PTK Global. But right, Zoom, I'm joined by Lawrence Coley. Scored the very first game. I seen Snyder Cut must have come through for him. Nah, this was actually my brother. Uh, was Henry done? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're not, not really able to. I've been begging Snyder for a while now, but he's been, been unable to help. Lawrence, how you been keeping, man? Uh, it's been a while since I last spoke to you. Yeah, I've been keeping well. You know, just um, ticking over. In terms of boxing, like building a home gym at mine, um, I just grafting right now. Really, do you know what I mean? Obviously, it's um, it's a bit difficult because of the times, but you know we're still we're working. When you're training these days, is Glovaki in the back of your mind, Lawrence? Yeah, I mean he's in the back of my mind, but it's, it's, it's like what I don't want to do is waste too much energy or overthink things or think about him or anything. I'm just training to just be in shape, be a you know fit athlete, and then. When you know we're all back in camp and stuff like that, then I can start really like knuckling down. But as of right now, obviously it's on my mind, but not not too intently. There's no possibility of this Glovaki fight happening in uh, Eddie Hearn's back garden, is there? In that can fight camp? Um, no, unfortunately, it's not. It's not. It's not possible because of, obviously, you know, the logistics and just you know, we're well out of fight. So I can't. I can't see it happening in the back garden. You wouldn't want your world title fight to be in front of no fans anyways, would you, Lawrence? Oh, it depends. Do you know what I mean? Uh, you know what I mean? As long as I win, I don't really mind because I have a defence in front of people. But as of, you know, obviously I had big visions of, you know, the mad ring walk and so on and so forth. But regardless, um, I think it's going gonna, it's gonna to take a hit anyway. So the most important thing is, which always is anyway, but it's to win the fight. Lawrence, I saw on your Instagram story the other day that you was at a peaceful protest uh, in central London for Black Lives Matter. Yep. Um, as a person with profile and a young black male, if you could give a message to 
not only black males in, in UK, but also in America, around the world, at this present time, what would it be, Lawrence? I'm just stay strong. Um, keep making sure that your voice is heard and just, you know, focus. Because obviously, um, a lot of times, a lot of issues that, you know, are spoken about and, and the anger that is in the black community, it's, it's, kind of, it's hard to understand if you don't actually have to live it. Um, so if you, if you are living it, you just stay strong, um, stay within the law and um, do what needs to be done. Lawrence, of course, uh, Anthony Joshua attended uh, one of these protests as well uh, in Watford over the weekend. Um, I'm sure you've seen his speech. It, it's caused debate on social media, let's say. What would you say to the people that are having a go at Joshua for his speech? Uh, two things to obviously watch the whole speech in its entirety. Um, obviously, he did mention that it wasn't his speech, but regardless, the messages that he is put, putting in there um, are mainly of stopping gang culture, you know, um, elevation and stuff like that. So I feel that people want to nitpick, they're going to nitpick and, you know, take stuff out of context. That's, that's just what it's going to be. But ultimately, um, I believe the message that he was giving up was one of positivity and, 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 and promise of the future. Do you know what I mean? Have you spoken to him personally about this subject? Uh, not, from, not, not about the subject. To me, there's nothing to speak about. He gave a speech at a Black Lives Matter. It was something that w wasn't relevant, that didn't warrant being said, or you know, uh, uh, warrant there wouldn't be protests, there wouldn't be this kind of um, push. You know, this is one of the biggest civil rights movements that we've seen ever. So I mean, spamming across the world. So obviously, it's, it's broad up issues that need to be spoken about, and people can't be bullied out of it or you know, turned into a villain based on you know, their real-life experiences. And I feel like that's one thing that has, has, I think, hindered and held back a lot of people throughout history is just the fact of people not really liking or understanding where they're coming from. But ultimately, I'm sure, not necessarily comparing them 100%, but I'm sure that when Martin Luther King, you know, Nelson Mandela, etc., were out there giving their messages, people don't like it then, but it was changed. So it is what it is. Do you have hope in your heart that this toxic mind frame of a few in society will change, Lawrence, one day? No, I think um, if not with them, you know, I feel like every generation so far seems to be getting less overtly, um, you know, uh, racist or whatever you want to call it. Um, so I do think obviously with time and, and efforts and, and shining light on it, you know, it will change, you know. Um, and this, 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 I mean, that's all we Senseless. It's difficult. I feel, I feel like it's very difficult for people to understand unless you're, like, you're watching someone who looks like you, who could be you, you know, dying on the street or having to deal with the day-to-day -day stuff that we have to deal with, you know what I mean? Like, generally being worried about, you know, what name you sign on the CV and so on and so forth. Um, what to say? Am I going to say something and get the backlash from the community like AJ is getting, you know? Um, so, ultimately, some of it needs to be said and it needs to continue to be said and people can't be scared to speak up. 
All right, I hear that, Lawrence. Well, listen, I just want to quick catch up. Um, how's things, anyways? I know you moved into a new place. Yeah, things are good. Things are good. Like I'm happy. You know what I'm saying I've got a world title fight on, on, on the horizon, and I'm, you know, in a good mental space. You know what I mean? Like last year, I was a little bit all over the place mentally, but I still managed to make it work. Now I feel very, very good. So I'm just waiting for my performances and physical to to catch up. All right, Lawrence Cardi, thank you very much for talking to IFL TV. Best of uh, luck for the rest of lockdown. Hopefully see you back in the ring soon, all right? Take care. Thank you, thank you, Tim. Hi there, Danny Flexen. Welcome to the latest edition of Seconds Out Reflections. We're here every Monday at 4.30pm to discuss some of the recent happenings in the world of boxing. And this week I do want to talk about Anthony Joshua's recent uh, speech that's been well documented, especially on social media, at the Black Lives Matter uh, demonstration protest in Watford, his hometown. And just the general uh, furore that appears to have built up among certain sections um, of social media some calling Anthony Joshua racist, some threatening to boycott his future fights. And I don't agree with any of it. <laughs> I thought it was a great speech. I thought um, for someone who's one of the most prominent sportsmen in the UK black community, you would almost feel disappointed, certainly as a person of colour, but even I would feel disappointed if he hadn't stood up and spoken about what he feels in this period since the death of George Floyd in uh, Minnesota, Minneapolis. He's hugely famous. He's hugely influential. A lot of um, young black people look up to him. A lot of young people generally look up to him. He can't be silent on this issue. And not only has he not been silent, he's stuck his head above the parapet. He's known that this risks losing fans and losing money um, by virtue of losing fans or losing support. And he's done it anyway. Not only that, the first part of the speech wasn't even his words. It was from a friend of the movement, Reese, who couldn't um, be at the, the demo and the speech, Joshua explained later on, was passed around to a number of people before Joshua took the lead, stood up and read those words out. Now, we can still believe that he endorses those views, otherwise why say them? And I don't have an issue with those views at all anyway, as I'll explain in a minute. But they weren't his words verbatim and then he went on afterwards to talk about his own personal views. But let's be real if we can. There is absolutely nothing wrong with a prominent black sports person, a prominent black celebrity suggesting or advocating a view that they should invest or everyone should invest in black owned businesses as a way to fight inequality. It's not racist to do that in the same way that it's not racist to say black lives matter rather than all lives matter because both statements have to be viewed in the same context and that's of hundreds and hundreds of years of discrimination and inequality. If you want to put it in kind of basic terms which probably demeans it a little bit the black community in this country and in others is still playing catch up and probably will be for a long time because of systematic long-term historical discrimination against them. Now, 
all the stuff that's going on at the moment isn't going to redress that balance completely. And some of the stuff Joshua was talking about, like steering people away from gang crime, like investing um, big money in the black community, um, shopping at black-owned businesses and so on, they're the sort of things that offer a long-term support network for this kind of journey towards eventual equality, which you know most reasonable people would want. Even the people out there are saying, oh, I don't like what Joshua said, I'm not sure what it means. Surely you want, on the base of it, as a, as a philosophy, guiding philosophy of life, for communities to be equal, for all people to be equal, regardless of their skin tone. Or maybe just by virtue of the content of their character. I'm not saying that someone who commits you know, mass murder should be equal to a saint. You know? But let's keep it as simple as possible. Black and white people should not be uh, split by their race and they should not be given advantages or disadvantages because of their race. I think most reasonable people would go along with that. They might not have liked the way um, Joshua said what he said. I had no problem with it myself. And I think a lot of people have misconstrued it as well, either by only putting part of the speech on social media or by suggesting that when he talks about hitting them where it hurts and um, abstaining from spending money in their businesses, by the they, they're suggesting that he meant all white people. I don't think that's true at all. And, and the context of the speech underlines that he did not mean that. He meant racists. He meant do not prop up racist businesses and racist economies. Again, a, a completely reasonable view that everyone should really agree with. The only way we're going to get to inequality is by denying racist or discriminatory practices a platform or a monetary value. And the, only, and the other um, end of the scale is then investing in the ones that have been underprivileged for so long. It's basic economics. And I don't think it's reasonable to say, well, that makes him a racist. It doesn't make him a racist at all. It makes him a community leader for his community and someone who wants his community to thrive, not to the detriment of the white community or any other community out there, but in equality with them and ideally in harmony with them. You know, I've met Anthony Joshua a couple of times. I'm certainly not close to him. I don't know him particularly well. But he's never struck me as, you know, this divisive figure. I think he just knows he's got a strong ethical and moral code and he's doing his best to you know be a, a leader at a time when his community is crying out for as much leadership and guidance as possible i've got no issue with that at all and anyone out there who thinks that's kind of pandering or whatever i've hardly ever interviewed joshua i've got no reason to kind of suck up to him or worry about losing out on the gravy train i'm not part of that gravy train particularly i'm part of the boxing gravy train sure and by some kind of long-term effect, if Joshua gets knocked off and the UK boxing economy shrinks and that could affect me long-term, yeah, maybe. I don't know. I haven't really thought that much about it. But there's no personal attachment to Joshua. There's no financial attachment to Joshua. I've got no reason to say this, but what I believe. You know, I've never been this great crusader for social equality. Obviously, I believe in my heart, as most people do, that it's an aim we all want. But it's not been something I haven't been out on the streets at the protests or anything like that. And I'm not going to claim to be all of a sudden. But the fact is, his speech summed up everything that you want to hear, really. Because it, this way, it, it diverted people away from channeling their energies in the wrong way in terms of gang violence, postcode wars and so on. And in the right way in terms of building an economy and getting to equality the best way, the most practical way and the most efficient way. I think I don't think I've ever respected Joshua as much as when I heard that speech. I've seen things in the past, like the stuff on Instagram with Eddie Chambers, which I didn't approve of. 
I've liked him in the ring sometimes. Other times I felt he's got things wrong, both in the ring and outside. I've never been a huge fan, but I've never been a massive detractor either. This has put me firmly in the fan camp, and I've got no problem saying that even as a journalist, because I think people need to fight for something. You know, it might not be racial equality, it might be something else, it might be anti-domestic abuse, it might be uh, sexual equality, it might be anti-homophobia, it could be anything. But people need a cause, people need something to believe in. You know, you can't just go through life, I mean you can, but in my view you shouldn't really go through life just not being bothered about anything that happens. I think it's important to be engaged, it's important to believe in something and then to act on those beliefs as much as you can. And that's all he's done, in my view. And I'm sure a lot of people commenting on this are going to say different and that it's wrong and he shouldn't have said it and it's against white people and those same white people have lined his pockets and Eddie Hearn's pockets and Eddie Hearn's one of the white people that's lined his pockets and we could go round and round. But I don't think one is at the detriment of the other. I think there's no problem with anyone investing in Anthony Joshua and then him encouraging people to invest in a community that's been underfunded for hundreds of years and discriminated against for hundreds of years. I have no issue with it at all as a middle-aged white man who lives in Snodland, which is one of the whitest communities you're gonna find anywhere in the South East. Um, but that's just my view. Obviously, let me know what you think below. You could disagree, no problem with that at all. Try and keep it relatively clean though, so we don't have to delete the comments. We don't want you know, too much swearing or borderline kind of inciting hatred type speech, but be good to hear what you've what you've got to think regardless. I'll be back Thursday for Flexpectations, 4.30pm, and next Monday for the next Reflections at the same time. Thanks very much, and I'll see you all soon. Cheers.